and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Ketubot, Daf Kuf Gimel, page 103. So I'm going to start with a Mishnah that's, uh, you know, down a bit from the top of Amad Aleph. Um, and we have here, again, we're talking about the case of, or the dynamics between the widow, a man's widow, and his heirs. Almanasha Amra, Iefshi Lazuz, Mibed Ba'ali. Right, if a widow says, I don't want to leave my husband's house, meaning, you know, the house that she has lived in with the husband, he's no longer alive. The, the heirs cannot say to her, go home to your father's house and we will provide for you there. Rather, they need to provide for her while she continues to live in the same house that she had lived in with her husband, and they need to make sure that her accommodations there are according to her kavod, according to her honor, according to her dignity, right? They can't just kind of like put her into the... I don't know, lock her up in the attic or something like that, right? But if she says, I don't want to leave my father's house, meaning she wants to, she does want to not, she wants to not live in the house that she had lived in with her husband and she's going back to her father's house, her father's house, they can say to her, well, if you were living here in this house, we would provide for you. We would give you the mizonot. But at the moment you're back in your in your father's house, meaning it's not about her being back in her father's house. It's the point is that she's not living there with them. So then they can say, we're not going to provide the mizonot for you. And lastly, the case in the mission says, If she says that because she is young, it says literally yalda, right? That she is a girl. I don't know what that means exactly in terms of in terms of the age of majority, but the implication is certainly that she is indeed young, right? The commentaries explain like it means that she she's not the mother of these children, right? It doesn't mean that she's necessarily a child herself. Right, but she's not the mother of these children, and they are, let's say, on a comparable age level. Then, then these heirs would pay for her from the estate. They would provide her mizono when she goes back to her father's house. Why? Because it seems that it would be impropriety. It would not be, you know, it would not be uh, seemly for her because of their respective ages to live in the same house as compared to the first case where she said she doesn't want to leave the the husband's house where it seems that she's really of the a generation you know that could even if she's not the mother of these children that she could have been which does not seem to be the case in this last case in this last part of the mishnah Okay, so the Gemara here then picks up on all of this, right, and talks about, you know, what does it mean that she's going to live there if she continues in her husband's house? And the idea is, to begin with, the, the Gemara says that she's going to continue to live exactly as she has been living up until this point, right? She's not to be shunted aside. And part of this then goes into the whole question of, you know, what is stipulated by the father? What is, again, what is the dynamic with the heirs? Um, I want to jump towards the bottom of the daf, of the Amr, I mean, because we get here, I'll call it a real-life case, specifically the passing, the dying, or before he dies, really, of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. And this, these these passages go on, not just for the rest of this stuff, but even on to tomorrow's stuff. Yordana, I know you're going to pick up with 
you know, to the with Amud Bet and give us, you know, more detail here. But specifically here, we've got a case that illustrates the discussion of the Mishnah. So, Tano Rabbanan, B'Sha'at P'tirata Shal Rebbe, at the time of the dying of Rebbe, of Yerubi Yudanasi, Amar, what did he say? Levanai Anitzarich, I need my sons. Nechnesu Banavetzlo, so his sons came into the room. Amar Lahem, he's Harul B'chvod Imachem. He said to them, be careful about the honor of your mother. Um, now, in this case, we do have a situation of the heirs are the children of both the father who is dying and also his wife who is their mother. And he says specifically, my lamp should be lit in its usual place, my table should be set in its usual place, and the bed should be arranged as it usually is. Yosef Chefani Shimon Efrati Heim Shimshuni Bachayai Vahim Yamashuni Bemoti. And then he specifies specifically that Yosef Chefani and Shimon Efrati, these two gentlemen, they served me, meaning they they served him literally, right? They they were Mishamesh. They they helped him out, really, I guess, um, during his lifetime, and they should shall do so again as he's dying. So there's something very poignant about the fact that he knows that he's coming to the end of his life and he's calling his children in and he's giving basically what amounts to you know, a last will and testament, so to speak, certainly in terms of what's about to happen, right? How should it, the how should his wife be cared for? What should remain as it always has been? And and lastly, you know, this idea that he's preparing his own funeral. He is harul b'chvodi machem. So what does it mean that that they should be careful about the honor of the mother? Um, so the Gemara said, meaning why why even does he need to say this? Ask the Gemara. Do right to he right? It's it's an explicit. Torah statement, meaning this is one of the Ten Commandments, where why does he need to tell them to do so? So the Gemara says, she was their father's wife, but she's not their mother, she's their stepmother. And so he says, your mother, meaning your stepmother, but it's not quite the same thing as the biblical commandment. Okay. Then the Gemara goes on, honoring your father's wife, is also a Doraita commandment. It's also required. There's a there's an interpretation that the fact that it says et avicha, right? That that et there means also to include the wife of your father. Likewise, the husband of your mother. And there's a very famous. Um, Drasha here that says that last vav, right, where it says v'etimecha, the vav will include even the honor that is due on a do right to level to pay to your older brother, which, uh, you know, those who have older brothers sometimes chafe at this particular interpretation. Um, but the idea here is that all of this honoring is do right to. So what is Rabbi Yudanasi telling his children to do? Hani mile mechaim. So the Gemara says, well, that halacha, the thing that is in the Torah, is really about during one's life, during the life of the father who connects all the, the relatives, right? In this case, right? Meaning the, the, the stepmother is there, is connected to the children because of the father. Avala mita lo. The Gemara says, you can't, 
the same level of requirement of, of honor is not required after the father's death. So that's why Rabbi Yudan Nasi is going to specify it. Why about, what about these other three requirements? The Gemara says, My Tama, what's the rationale? What's the reason for this? So the Gemara says that on Arab Shabbat, Rabbi Huda Hanasi used to do these things. He would come into his house and he would, you know, set up the lamp and set up the table and set up the bed. And he wants to make sure that everything will continue in that way even after his death. So the Gemara tells a story here that on a particular Arab Shabbat, the neighbor came by and he knocked at the door. Shatiku, shtiku. Right, and it was quiet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Amra, I, I skipped two words. Amra amte shatiku. The servant, the maid servant, said to the neighbor, "Be quiet." Why? The Rebbe Yativ, because Rebbe Yudanasi was sitting. What does it mean? He was sitting. Kevan deshama shuvlo ata. And then what happens is that because um, the maid servant had. This because this woman, the servant of his household, had in fact mentioned, discussed his presence in the house to the neighbor, so he didn't come out again. Shuv lo ata, he didn't come again. He didn't want to cast aspersions on the earlier tzadikim rishonim, like the forebears who were also righteous, who did not come to their families following their deaths. So this already is a story that needs some unpacking, right? It seems to be that the whole scenario here has happened um, after he died. And the, the ama, the maidservant says he's sitting and, and it's as if, right, he's, he's sitting because the house is all set up for him to come. But, um, and then he stopped coming. He stopped making an appearance after that because, lest people think that he, I don't know what, right? Meaning if he's dead and he's making an appearance at his regular haunts, literally haunts, it's a strange story to say that this took place after his death. But literally it says he doesn't want to cast aspersions because other people did not come to their families after their deaths, um, you know, which I think is perhaps understandable. And lastly here, Yosef Chafni Shimon Afrati, Heim Shimshuni Bechayai, Veim Yemashuni Bemoti. What does this mean that these gentlemen will take care of him in his death? Savor Mina, Bahadin Al Amar. So it's, uh, he's talking about this world, that they should serve him in death, about his burial in this world. Right, and then when the people saw that they, in fact, it seems that they actually died before he died, meaning he, he, his last will here says right that they should take care of his funeral, but in the end they actually died before he died. So then they decided to say, Shmamina, we should conclude from this that really he's talking about the world to come, that they will serve him in the world to come in the same way that they served him in this world. That's not the pshat, meaning that's not the original stipulation, but it does seem to be a, a reasonable shift given that they died first. And so why why did he say this? So the people should never say, 
מילתא הוויילהו, ועד הידנא נמי זכותא דרביהו דאהניה להו. They shouldn't say that there's something wrong with them. And then until now, it was just that because of Rabbi Yudan Asi, that was like to their credit or to their benefit, and otherwise they would have died because of their own, you know, wrongdoings or whatever before now. But now that Rabbi Yudan Asi is dying, so he can't protect them in the same way or his merit doesn't protect them. So therefore, he has to specify that in fact, you know, their deaths were at this time to escort him into the next world. Now, Again, this seems like a little bit difficult, this idea, uh, I don't know, traipsing between this world and the next is a little bit of an odd construct, um, but it does seem to be, I guess, the conversations, you know, a series of them that Rabbi Yudanasi is having on his deathbed. Yerdena, over to you. And I, you know, I think this whole Mishnah uh, is very interesting, and the way that they illustrate it with the death of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi uh, is even more interesting. So before I get to, um, you know, uh, my part, which I'm going to read some of that, I honestly could read this entire daf. you know, just remember the importance of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, right? That he really is who we consider the redactor or the former of the Mishnah itself. Uh, there are other Gemaras where he's compared to even Moshe Rabbeinu. And so it makes sense that they sort of spend all this time in describing not only his death, but also the succession plan after him. And that's a lot of what, uh, you know, what, how he wanted, he, how he orchestrated his own death, how he wanted to be remembered, because I think he understood, um, you know, what a loss this was going to be for the Jewish community and who was going to actually take over for him. So I'm going to start at the bottom of Amr Aleph. Amr lahan l'chachmei Yisrael anitzarich. Um, so he says to the sages of Israel, right? He says, I need the sages of Israel. So they come to him and he says, Don't eulogize me in the small towns. And I want you to go back to studying after 30 days of mourning. Um, and uh, then he also says, Shimon My son Shimon is a sage. Gamliel bini nasi, but my son Gamliel should be the nasi. Chanini barchama yeshev barosh, and Chanini barchama should sit at the head of the yeshiva. And then essentially, what the rest of this daf does is, or this amud amud bed is basically explores what is the what's the reasoning for all of these requests that he made, right? So the reason that they give for the. Um, uh, you know, for not wanting to do the small towns, I'm reading some of this, I'm explaining some of this outside, um, is, uh, you know, right? Because he, uh, you know, what they understood from this is that he understood it would be like a really big, uh, it would be a tircha, right? That if he was eulogized in every single town, right? Um, they would, you know, they would travel from outlying, even the smaller villages to take place. Um, and, but what, what they ended up seeing is, is that when, when they saw that they were eulogizing him in the cities, you know, everyone came despite this, right? And so in the end, they say, they concluded from this that he said this due to his honor, right? It wasn't about Tircha. That's originally how they understood his request. But actually what it was is that, having all these little small gatherings wasn't really fitting of his honor. And instead it should have been 
really large ones. So they didn't want him, he didn't want to be eulogized in the small towns. And it's interesting that he's allowed to sort of think about the kavod that he is actually due, right? Then they explain why he should, uh, why they should go back um, to learning Torah after 30 days. And here he compares himself, right? To lo adifa me Moshe Rabbeinu, he's not greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, and they quote the Psukim and Devarim that describe how, you know, he was eulogized uh, for 30 days um, and that afterwards they would eulogize him by day, but they would study at night. And this went on for, for you know, for 12 months. So he was trying to say no excessive mourning more than that was done for B'nai Yisrael's greatest leader, who is Moshe Rabbeinu. Then the Gemara pauses to basically say, Hachu yoma de so the day of his funeral, a bat kol comes out. Now remember, a bat kol is, a, is always used when there's like an observation about a truism in the world that we would not know, a human could not understand just from observing the world, right? And what this bat kol comes out to say is, anyone who went to his funeral basically earns uh, olam haba. In other words, it was such a kavod to come out for him uh, that anybody who learned from him and who paid respect to him, you know, was guaranteed life. And then it tells a story that there was a launderer, Kovez, who would always come to him every day. And on that day, he didn't go. He didn't go to the funeral. And when he heard this, he basically falls to the roof and he dies because he's so stricken with grief that he didn't pay the kavod that he wanted to to Rabbi Huda Nasi. And the bakol comes again and says, Afhu olam haba, that this launderer also will have world to come. And I think here the point of this is, is that the type of leader Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was, is that he even brought the regular unlearned people with him, right? Like a launderer, that's a dirty job. That's not a respectful job. And so the idea is, is that anyone who gives a gadol, anybody who gives their teacher respect, even they sort of get a merit or they get a chilek in the world to come because of the kavod that they give to that teacher. And I think it also says something about Rabbi Huda Nasi that he really was a leader of the people as well, right? He is, we've seen some leaders like Rabbi Gamliel II is sort of described as being a little bit elitist. That's not here the description of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Now they get to the question of his sons, right? Shimon b'ni chacham, Mike Amar, right? Shimon, my son, what is it saying that he is a sage, right? And that his son Gamliel should be the Nasi. Now, what this is about, as the Gemara is going to explain, is uh, Rabbi Huda Nasi had two sons, uh, Shimon and Gamliel. Gamliel is actually the older son, so he is sort of like, I guess, entitled to be the Nasi. But Shimon was the Chacham. Shimon was really uh, smarter than him or greater in Torah. And so he needs to explain why he's going to uh, give him uh, the the title of Nasi as opposed to Shimon, because that's maybe what people were expecting. But we're going to see that that itself is going to be questioned as well. Now, Amar Levi. Levi says, Tzricha Lamemar. Did that have to be said? Amar Rabbi Shimon Bar Rabbi. Tzricha Lach Ulematladach. Right? So, uh, so Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi Suda, says, it was necessary for you and your limp. He's making fun of him. Ma'kash Lehakra Kadamar. Right? Why did Rabbi Shimon find it so difficult? Doesn't it say the kingdom he gave to Yehoram because he was the firstborn? So this basically says that the firstborn is always the one who gets his father's, who, you know, gets to his father thing. So Levi really was asking a good question, which is why does Rabbi Yudha Nasi have to ask, you know, anything specific because it's clear it should have gone to the firstborn. 
So he, Yehoram, filled the place of his fathers. But Rabban Gamliel did not fill the place of his fathers, right? In other words, he may not have been as great. And therefore, Rabbi Huda Nasi had to specifically make a commandment that even though Rabbi Shimon is the bigger sage, Rabban Gamliel still deserves to be the Nasi. And so the question is, Rabbi, my time Avad Hachi, why did he do this? So the Gemara answers is, is that yes, maybe he didn't have, he wasn't as great as a Torah scholar, but he did have Yirat Chet. And he felt that that was more important for the Nasi, which is also very interesting and teaches us something about leadership in general, right? That being, having Yirat Chet, right? Really having a fear of sin is sometimes better than how smart you actually are. And then finally, he has Hanina Barchama Yeshev Barosh, Loki Bel Rabbi Hanina. So he wanted Hanina Barchama to sit at the head of the yeshiva, but Rabbi Hanina did not accept it. Why? Shahiya Rabbi Apas Gadomi Menushte Shanima Mechatza. Because Rabbi Apas was older than him by two and a half years, and he didn't feel it was respectful. Now remember, this now becomes the generation that transitions from Tanaim to Amoraim. Yitev Rabbi Apas, Bereshav Yitev Rabbi Hanina Abre. So what happened? Rabbi Afaz sat at the head of the yeshiva. Rabbi Hanina sat as the outside because it wasn't, he really shouldn't have sat as a student. So he sits outside. And Levi comes and he sits outside with him. What not nafshed to Rabbi Afaz. So then finally Rabbi Afaz dies. And then Rabbi Hanina goes to be the head of the yeshiva. Right? And Levi didn't have anyone to study with, so he goes to Bavel. Now, what's interesting about this is, is I think this is also trying to show a little bit of the transition that happens from, you know, one with the end of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi is sort of the end of the era of the Tanayim. And then you sort of have that the focus becomes or the leadership of Torah leaves Eretz Yisrael and eventually ends up in Bavel. So what we see is, is one of the most important Talmidim, Levi, he doesn't like the setup. He doesn't end up learning with Rabbi Hanina and he goes and he ends up learning in um, in Bavel. And then they tell the story uh, about Rav, that a great man comes to Naharda and he and he limps um, and, um, you know, uh, and, and Rav basically, you know, they, they had a whole story about what a klila is, this, this type of uh, tiara-like thing that whether or not you could wear this on Shabbat or was considered carrying. And Rav learns from this story that once, you know, that uh, that Rabbi Apas, when he dies and Rabbi Hanina takes his place, he sat at the head of the yeshiva, but Levi didn't have anyone to sit and study with, so he comes to Babel. So I think this is the the Talmud Babel sort of talking about this shift that starts to happen after Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. The Gemara then spends a little time wanting to understand how uh, how they actually um, uh, uh, knew that um, uh, and explores that a, a, a little bit more and gives some background to this. But I, I, I think here, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's, uh, you know, it's interesting to see sort of how carefully orchestrated his death was and what characteristics I think we learned from this. Again, that he, you know, wanted to make sure he was treated with kavod, so the eulogies had to take place in the large cities. Um, he he sort of was a leader of even the people, even the Kovace, the launderer, you know, er, earns the world to come because of how they treated and how much they revered Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Um, and we sort of have this miraculous element with the Bakal coming out. 
And finally, that even with his children, he needed to uh, say the one who was less of the Chacham, Rabbi Gamliel, was going to be the, Rabbi Gamliel was going to be the Nasi and not his son, uh, and not his son, Rabbi Shimon. Um, and then, you know, finally giving us the transition or the succession of power, but we already see this hint that things are going to move um, a little bit uh, to, are going to move a little bit to Bavel. Um, we don't have time to go. This is really just uh, an, an amazing, amazing DAP. Uh, also pay attention to, um, you know, sort of this whole thing that happens uh, uh, with Rabbi Chia at the end. Uh, there's a great story with Rabbi Chia on Rabbi Huda Hanasi's uh, deathbed. Um, uh, so, so pay attention, uh, pay attention to that as well, um, which I think is very, very interesting. Um, and again, uh, you know, it just a really, really good dap that I think gives us some great autobiographical information about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this DAF and Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's legacy. Uh, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Varber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.